Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS Podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's Medical Director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Patil Armenian and Dr. Sajid Bakta. Hello. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about hypothermic cardiac arrest. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. So, Sajan, why don't you kick us off and tell us about this topic? So, I found a really cool case report in the literature of a 57-year-old woman who was found lost in a snowstorm in 2011. She fell unconscious around 25 minutes before the arrival of EMS recovery team. When the EMS got there, her carotid pulse was six beats per minute, and she had no perceptible breathing movements. As soon as they moved her, they lost her pulse and a cardiac rest occurred. So they started CPR immediately. Now this place that they found her in was so rural and so off the beaten path that they had to walk her to the nearest road and they had to alternate one minute of chest compressions and one minute of walking. And they did this for 25 minutes. And then once they got to the road, CPR was continued until they reached a center where they could do extracorporeal life support. But that wasn't until 307 minutes after the initial rescue. Once they had her on ECLS, they were able to rewarm her. She left the ICU to her neurologic rehab unit with no organ failure, and she left the hospital one month later. And at three-month follow-up, she had only mild cognitive impairment, even after having cardiac arrest for 307 minutes. So this is really crazy, and I think this is one of the few cases where we can perform CPR and resuscitation for a prolonged period of time, and the patient can still have a really good outcome. Such a fantastic case to talk about how patients really are not dead until they're warm and dead. And it just shows that she has this great neurologic outcome, even though she was really dead for a long time. For five hours. That's amazing. So let's start with an introduction just to hypothermia. And again, check out our recent podcast on hypothermia in general. Here we're going to talk about clinical system published by the International Commission for Mountain Emergency Medicine. And this is also known as the Swiss or the European system for classifying hypothermia. Now, typically cold stress is when your core temperature is greater than 35 degrees Celsius, typically manifested by shivering, but the patient is still alert and has normal mental status. Now, when the core temp drops to 32 to 35 degrees Celsius, the patient is probably alert, but possibly altered and definitely shivering. In moderate hypothermia, this is between 28 and 32 degrees Celsius, you have a decreased level of consciousness and you'll likely stop shivering. Now, less than 28 degrees Celsius is severe hypothermia. The patient's most likely unconscious and profound hypothermia is less than 24 degrees Celsius, which is apparent death. But again, just as in our case, resuscitation may still be possible. Now there's a push to use the revised Swiss system, which relies on mental status and the AVPU assessment. 
rather than shivering, since presence or absence of shivering varies widely from person to person. Can you remind us all what AVPU stands for? AVPU is a way to monitor mental status. A stands for alert. V stands for arousable to verbal stimulation. P is arousable to painful stimulation. And U is unconscious. So for hypothermia, we're describing mild hypothermia as the patient is alert. Moderate hypothermia is the patient is responding to verbal stimuli. Severe hypothermia is the patient is responding to painful stimuli or is unconscious with detectable vitals. And then profound hypothermia is the patient is unconscious with no detectable vitals. Let's talk about how often this happens. So according to the CDC in the United States, approximately 1,300 deaths annually are attributed to hypothermia, with 67% of these cases being in males. The most common risk factor for this accidental or primary hypothermia is intoxication. So we're meaning alcohol intoxication in as many as 68% of these cases. So hypothermic patients with intoxication tend to have more favorable outcomes compared to elderly patients who may have been hypothermic for other reasons and have less physiologic reserve. So the current lowest temperatures from which successful resuscitation and rewarming have been achieved are 13.7 degrees Celsius or 56 degrees Fahrenheit. That is super cold. So you can make a difference here. So just remember when you find these patients and you realize how cold they are, um, we definitely still can resuscitate them. So let's get into the pathophysiology um, for a minute. And of course, we do go into this in our hypothermia podcast episode as well. Um, But this time, we're going to be focusing on cardiac arrest in the hypothermic patient. But in general, the colder the body gets, the stiffer, weaker, and slower everything becomes. And this applies on both a micro and macro scale. So for example, the heart muscle becomes very stiff and you have difficulty filling the ventricles with blood, um, but then also proteins and molecules that are essential for functioning stop working. So for example, in your neurologic system, um, your autonomic nervous system is first activated. This causes shivering, peripheral vasoconstriction, and shunting of blood to the central part of your body. But then the colder you get, the more your enzymes, receptors, all your neurotransmitters stop working properly. And so when you get to less than 35 degrees, you get ataxia, memory changes, and impaired judgment. Now, once you get to less than 32 degrees Celsius, the respiratory drive slows down, reflexes become sluggish, and then more of that impaired judgment. So you get paradoxical undressing, like somebody actually starts taking their clothes off because they think that's going to help them, but it makes things worse. And then at less than 28 degrees Celsius, now because there's so much hypoventilation, you get acid-base disorders and all reflexes and all movement become absent. So your brain oxygen consumption decreases by about 6% per every one degree Celsius fall in core temperature and reaches 16% at 15 degrees Celsius compared with your normal thermia. What this means is that the brain is using oxygen less when it's cold, and so it, it has this increased tolerance for low or no blood flow states. So at 18 degrees Celsius, which is really cold, the brain can tolerate cardiac arrest for up to 10 times longer than when it's at 37 degrees Celsius, just because it's almost like it goes into this standstill state. It's like I, I am shutting down my oxygen consumption, and so it's just kind of frozen in time in essence. 
And that kind of really explains how you can have somebody really frozen like a popsicle. And then if you resuscitate them properly, they can come back and have normal neurologic outcomes. Now let's switch gears and talk about our cardiac system. In our cardiac system, conduction also slows down in the cold. Because in the cold, kind of everything does really freeze and not move very well. Your heart can't stretch to fill up. And so you get diastolic dysfunction. And then what we'll see in most adults is that atrial arrhythmias will start to happen first. So you may see atrial fibrillation. Now, once you get to less than 32 degrees Celsius, the heart muscle becomes very sensitive to even the slightest changes in positioning or contact. So when you move someone, for example, you could have a ventricular arrhythmia. And that's what we were seeing in the case Sajan was describing. With any mo- with movement, she went into cardiac arrest. Now, also, when you're rewarming the patient, there can be non-uniform temperatures in different chambers of the heart itself. That can lead to arrhythmias, too. So the arrhythmias can just be from being too cold or also during your rewarming process. Now, circulation slows significantly due to decreased cardiac output. And at this point, the myocardial tissue or the heart muscle becomes less responsive to systemic signals. So for example, signals from neurotransmitters like epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine. Just a few more body systems real fast, but in your lungs or pulmonary system, initially the cold exposure will lead to hyperventilation, but then the colder they get, the less they breathe. So they become hypoventilating or apneic in the end. They can also get bronchospasm and bronchorrhea, which is increased secretions um, coming out from your, your bronchi. And once it gets really cold in your blood itself, you can actually have platelet dysfunction, less than 35 degrees Celsius. And then under 30 degrees Celsius, a very high risk of increased clotting, uh, multi-organ infarction. Basically, all the things that your blood needs to clot are enzymes that depend on specific temperatures. Once you're out of that temperature range, they're not going to work anymore. And then in your kidneys, because blood is kind of shunting into the center of your body, the kidneys undergo something called cold diuresis. Even though the body already doesn't have a lot of volume, this concept is like the body is trying to tell the kidneys, get rid of all the extra fluid. So they might be hypovolemic, but then the kidneys are still making them pee out more of their fluids. And so this makes them even worse because they're going to get even more volume depleted. Now, the best chance of full recovery from a hypothermic cardiac arrest is in the young, healthy patient with a witnessed arrest in which continuous CPR is implemented immediately, and you get timely ECLS and appropriate critical care support after return of spontaneous circulation. So for greater understanding of all this ECLS and ECMO, um, tune in to our podcast number 38 that teaches us all about ECMO. So let's talk about the assessment and management in the field. You know, we don't carry thermometers in our rigs. So pre-hospital, we really don't know how cold they are, but actually we don't really need to know. So kind of use the revised Swiss classification, which is a clinical system for altermental status in a patient who you suspect may have an environmental hypothermia based on the context. So you find someone outside, you know, in the sprinklers on their lawn or someone who's intoxicated on a bench and it's, you know, freezing outside or 40 degrees outside, then you're really going to suspect that altermental status might be due to hypothermia. It's important to think about hypothermia as a cause of the altermental status or the arrest right away because it may alter your destination. 
Severely hypothermic patients, whether they're unconscious or apparent death in the Swiss system, should probably be transported to a facility that has ECMO capabilities, or in this case, we're calling it ECLS. ECLS can provide circulatory support and also warm the patient faster than any external methods of rewarming. And here in our local system, our ECMO facility would be RMC. If you do have access to invasive temperature probes in your system, esophageal probes are the most accurate and they reflect the true core temperature the best. Oral, tympanic, rectal, and even bladder probes are not really reliable in this situation. Now looking at the patient on the scene who's in cardiac arrest, as always, you're going to establish your airway. You know, severe hypoxia is one of the main driving forces of arrest in these patients. You're going to look for any wet or damp or cold clothing that you can take off. You're going to place them in a warm, safe environment. You don't want them to be burned when they're getting reheated or when you're trying to heat them up. And also consider other causes of cardiac arrest. You know, did they arrest before they became hypothermic? Right? Did they fall off a cliff and then that trauma from the cliff killed them and then they got cold? Or were they cold and then they fell off the cliff? You know, is there any major trauma? Did they drown? If you suspect these causes, the patient doesn't necessarily benefit from a transfer to an ECLS center, and prognosis is very poor compared to arrest from hypothermia itself. You're going to start modified ACLS. You're going to start rewarming that patient if you have time or the hands to do that. And that can be as simple as taking off their cold, wet clothing. You can put hot packs to their trunk. Warming extremities causes dilation of the peripheral blood vessels, which circulates cold blood back to the core. So we really want to warm that trunk first. So putting those warm compresses in their armpits, in their groin, around their neck. You can do warm humidified air if you have it, warm IV fluids if you have them. And let's Sajan, why don't you kick us off with some of the ACLS modifications? Right. So hypothermia, as you mentioned, affects many different organs and also reduces the effects and the metabolism of vasoactive and antiarrhythmic agents. This leads to a reduced effect at low temperatures, as well as a potential for buildup to toxic levels when you finally do rewarm the patient. So here in this hypothermic cardiac arrest, the key, which really is in all cardiac arrest patients, is the timing and the quality of chest compressions. These patients often require prolonged resuscitation, so it's a good time to use your mechanical compression device. In our system, we have the Lucas device. Remember, these resuscitations can go on for hours, and it's not necessarily feasible to have hands on the patient for the whole time. So use your Lucas device. Now, there are a few different societies that have different recommendations for when and how to give things that we typically give during ACLS, such as epinephrine or amiodarone. Now, the Wilderness Medicine Society recommends holding all agents and only trialing one defibrillation attempt until the patient has been warmed until at least 30 degrees Celsius. The Scandinavian Journal of Trauma and Resuscitation put out new guidelines in 2016, which allow up to three defibrillation attempts prior to ECLS. And again, the recommendation is to not give medications until 30 degrees Celsius. Now, the American Heart Association states it may be reasonable to consider administering medication, but admits a lack of data. So the bottom line here is focus on compressions. You can attempt defibrillation, but it probably won't work, may not work. And then medications probably aren't going to work either. So when in doubt, focus on the compressions. That's really going to be the most important thing for this patient. And of course, you know, we have to talk about when to terminate resuscitation. It's really hard in these patients. Again, they're not dead until they're warm and dead. So termination in cardiac arrest of a hypothermic etiology should not be considered until the patient is at least 32 degrees Celsius 
Or in the hospital, we have lab testing that if their potassium is greater than 12, they're likely not going to survive. So remember, active internal rewarming is a keystone for treatment of the unstable hypothermic patient. This often can't be done pre-hospital setting. So really, the resuscitation needs to continue until you can get to a hospital. And just one more case to reiterate kind of the exciting prognosis and some of the things that can happen um, to these hypothermic arrest cases. Another case report of a 42-year-old man who was found unresponsive to external stimuli and pulseless with an outdoor temperature of one degree Celsius. CPR was actually started on the scene by bystanders, and EMS arrived about five minutes after the call. The first recorded rhythm was ventricular fibrillation, which persisted despite repeat defibrillation attempts. They transported the patient to the hospital, where on arrival, the patient's rectal temperature was measured at 22 degrees Celsius. So they were able to start ECLS, but by that point, CPR had been going on for approximately 130 minutes, and they had attempted defibrillation 38 times. But the second the patient got to a core temperature of 30 degrees Celsius, they defibrillated one more time, and they restored sinus rhythm, and stable circulation was achieved. He was discharged to rehab three weeks later, and three months after the cardiac arrest, the patient was fully recovered, back to work, and totally back to normal. So again, it's just one of those things where things that we typically do for cardiac arrest in terms of epinephrine and defibrillation may not work when they're that cold. But the second we are able to warm them up, these things work again. So continue the resuscitation. They can have a really good neurologic outcome. Let's look at our own protocol here in our Central California EMS agency. And um, in the medical cardiac arrest protocol under the special considerations, they talk about hypothermia. And this basically just reiterates, I'll read it to you, exactly what um, Sajjan everyone was talking about. So these patients often look dead but may be salvageable. The monitor frequently shows a slow atrial fibrillation or sinus bradycardia. Contact the base hospital as soon as possible. In the presence of isolated hypothermia, CPR is indicated for situations without an organized EKG rhythm, like if they're in V-fib or asystole. Contact the base regarding CPR on isolated hypothermia patients and PEA. And resuscitate until rewarming has been implemented in the emergency department. So once again, in our protocol, we're going to continue CPR until you bring them into the emergency department where we can do active rewarming. I'll do some summary take-home points with hypothermic cardiac arrest. Patio. I think um, one of the initial points is just to keep hypothermia in mind as a cause of cardiac arrest if there's no other history in that patient. Sajin. Be careful with mobilizing the patient because of their irritable myocardium or heart tissue. It can actually cause uh, ventricular fibrillation. And my take-home point is that medications and defibrillation really don't work when they're under 30 degrees Celsius, so when they're super cold. So just remember, chest compressions are the mainstream treatment, and just continue chest compressions and transfer them to an ECLS facility or to your nearest closest hospital, and neural outcomes can still be good. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. 
The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.